Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, August 28th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Federal Emergency Management Agency is conducting community outreach to help victims of the May and June tornadoes. Then, a Mississippi man injured in the Iraq War is awarded the Purple Heart nearly a decade after returning home. Plus, a local baker answers the question posed by a popular Netflix game show, Is It Cake? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Federal Emergency Management Agency is working with local and state emergency managers to help Mississippians understand what resources are available to them after a disaster. FEMA recently opened a new disaster recovery center in Moss Point. It serves as a base of operations so workers can go door-to-door in communities hit by tornadoes earlier this summer. Our Kobe Vance speaks with Daryl Drago, federal coordinating officer for FEMA. He's based in Washington. He says it can be tricky to navigate the process to get disaster recovery assistance while trying to repair or rebuild homes and businesses. A disaster recovery center is, is a location that we, we site and we place our staff in. We place what we call individual assistance specialists. Um, we also have people from mitigation. Uh, you'll also find people from a small business administration, Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. Uh, you might have volunteer organizations in there also. Um, and the, the entire intent and goal of that site is to be able to sit down directly with survivor households registrants um, who may have been impacted by this disaster, by the tornadoes, uh, to help them work through the registration process, complete their applications, and identify what types of assistance they are eligible for. Because we provide individual assistance grants. They're not a grant like a payback grant. Those are individual assistance grant by our terminology to the survivor directly so that they can start their recovery process. If people are seeking this grant, do they have to have receipts for things that have already been done, or do you all warn people, hey, hold off on repairs until after you're approved? No. Um, That's another excellent question, because there's some confusion on that some days. They can go ahead and start repairs. We want them to start their recovery. But we do ask, in fact, it's a portion of the documentation that's required, is that they continue to collect their bills, those, those invoices, and bring them to us. 
so that we can help them load them into the application and identify what individual assistance monies would be that they would be eligible for. What kind of services are y'all helping people recover for? Uh, it, it's a variety of, of things. Um, you might have uh, what we'll call it, it falls under the, the individual assistance household program, and we do a couple of things in there. You might find that we're providing funding for repairs to their homes. Um, one key point on that is we will not and we cannot, by law, duplicate their insurance. So that's one of the documents we require is if you have insurance, bring that in so we can sit down and go through it and see what you might be eligible for. So might be house repairs. For other needs assistance, that can be something like child care. So we have a child care component to that that they might be eligible for. Might be rental assistance so they can continue the repairs until their home is compl- uh, the repairs are finished. We also have different programs, like right now, uh, disaster legal services. And that allows them to talk to somebody, a lawyer, a young attorney is what we call them, and get some legal advice if they're having trouble uh, or if they need some assistance with the contractor or some other issues that they're, that they're working through. Uh, none of FEMA's processes and programs are intended to be the answer to all recovery. We're a starting point. We try to assist so they can jumpstart the process. A lot's happened in Mississippi over the past few months, ever since we had those tornadoes early in the summer. I wanted to get your perspective on what has FEMA been able to do so far, as in how many people have y'all been able to get in contact with and how many people are applying slash approved for this uh, assistance? Okay, so there's two different disasters there, right? So we, we speak to the disaster from March, which most people refer to as the Rolling Fork uh, incident. Um, and we also have the new one that includes Jasper and Jackson and an additional 16 counties um, that were the president uh, on the major disaster declaration provided public assistance, which is for the communities themselves. That's where we work with communities. All right. So for the, for the March disaster, at this point, we have provided directly to the survivor household roughly more than $12 million worth of assistance across six designated counties. And when we look at that, you ask a great question. How many people went through this? More than, I'll just give you the number, 8,400 right now as of this morning's report. For the new one, okay, for Jasper and Jackson, as of this morning, we received almost 800 registrations. And at this point, we've approved more than $727,000 of individual assistance grants directly to the individual or survivor households. I also wanted to look ahead into the future just a, just a bit. Uh, knock on wood here. If there is a hurricane or other disaster that happens this year, what steps can Mississippians take right now to be able to expedite their application or registration process? Like should they be taking photos of their house or anything like that to be able to have documentation of what damage might happen if they are struck? Absolutely. You know, you just struck on something that we always talk to is, preparedness, recovery starts with the individual household. Gather those critical documents. Um, have pictures of your house. Look at your insurance. Do you have enough insurance coverage? Okay, a lot of people talk to, I have insurance on my house. Well, if you have replacement coverage, has it been renewed and updated? Do you have enough coverage to actually repair or replace what is lost from your insurer? Another thing on that. Uh, is critical is make sure if you are in a flood zone that you have insurance for flood protection 
and that you're current with the national flood insurance policies. Um, those are critical pieces. Anytime a disaster, disaster happens, anytime you can be prepared, family preparedness plans, evacuation plans, having you know, food supplies and water, having your documentation ready or copies of it somewhere is critical to get you started on the recovery process. That's where it begins. Daryl Drago is a federal coordinating officer with the Federal Emergency Management Agency in Washington. Coming up, a Mississippi veteran has waited nearly a decade, but is now a recipient of the Purple Heart. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Classical, jazz, indie, blues, folk, bluegrass, whatever you call your music. Find it on MPB Music Radio on mpbonline.org or the MPB Public Media app or on an HD radio. Want to know what that family keepsake is worth? MPB's next Antique Showcase will be coming to the Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College in Biloxi on Friday, October 13th and Saturday, October 14th. We'll have professional appraisers on site to evaluate a variety of treasure types. Tickets are limited and will go quickly, so don't delay. Reserve your tickets at mpbfoundation.org slash mshowcase. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. It took nearly a decade for the military to honor the service of a Mississippi veteran, bestowing him with the Purple Heart. In September 2006, Army Major Victor Hogan was nearing the end of a 15-month tour when the combat vehicle he was riding in struck an improvised explosive device, or IED. Doctors at the time determined the Purvis native had suffered a traumatic brain injury. But owing to a lack of research, these injuries weren't considered Purple Heart eligible by the Department of Defense until 2011. Hogan was presented the medal by U.S. Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith during a ceremony at Camp Shelby. Our Mike McEwen speaks with Hogan about his service and the years it took to be recognized for his sacrifice. Right, it was a long process, uh, but I'm, I'm really thankful, I guess, for the process because uh, there are a lot of men and women that go through a same lengthy process, and uh, the Army in particular, you don't want to make a mistake and give a person a award they don't deserve the award. So uh, even though as a service member we get frustrated the process, the time it takes, it's there for a reason. You want to protect what the award means, not to the, the medal means, not for the, the service member, but for the country as a whole. Because when you wear a medal that has the first president of the United States on it, that's, that's a solemn obligation and commitment. And being a Purple Heart recipient, it's... There are certain obligations and responsibilities that, that we have, not just myself, I, we, we have to represent ourselves in an honorable way, which honors, continues on, honors the country. And so that's why it's so special being here is to let the folks in Mississippi know that just say thank you. Thank you for supporting veterans. Thank you for supporting the, the veterans' families also. Because when we go out to deploy and we go to defend the country and fight wars and all that good stuff, we need the support of the American public. How did you find out that the Army 
think it's the Department of Military Records or Records Collect oh. Records Corrections. How did you find out that they were looking into your injury and allowed to do? Uh, yeah, so I was, uh, while I was at Walter Reed uh, Medical Center uh, in Maryland, I ran into my old battalion commander, and he mentioned that. He asked me what I was going through, and I told him my injuries. He said, well, guess what? You're an for the Purple Heart. I didn't know. And so that's sort of a long process of really notifying the Army of the injury, even though in my medical documents from the military, I actually do that. I've been treated for, for the injury. Uh, but it just takes the Army a while sometimes to kind of catch up because Congress or the Department of Army approve update policies, and it just takes a while for those policies to kind of filter through the Army system. And so it's a process, and I'm just, I'm still proud of my service. I'm still proud of the men and women I serve with because it's not about the medal, but the men and women I serve with. And even though I'm being recognized, but it's it's their service also with me on why I'm here today. You said you were at Walter Reed getting treatment. Oh, yes. Can I ask, what was... What did it look like dealing with that injury over the past several years? How did that impact you? It's impacted me uh, greatly. I've uh, been to, I got attended a lot of physical therapy. I got like, like uh, nerve damage uh, through my body. And, uh, you know, as I, I'm only 44 years old, but as I, I guess, age, the uh, the blast injury and the airborne injuries, it, it kind of takes its toll. Uh, but I'm thankful that. We have congressional leaders that keep the VA fully funded. The amount of care I need sometimes it's 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 a lot. You know, sometimes I'm able to walk. I'm you know maybe bedridden for a day or two, and so uh, and and uh, having the, the VA personnel call me and if needed they they do home visits. Uh, so I'm really thankful. Do you talk to other people who are in your battalion or other veterans in general about TBIs and the impact those have had on you all? I know it's a recent thing where the armed forces have understood it as an injury, but how about soldiers yourselves? Oh, yes. Actually, my story is a little interesting. Uh, I got separated from the Army in 2013 with active duty, and I returned to active duty to medic retired in 2016 because of my injuries. And that gap, the three-year gap, I was in the reserves. And so other service members, talking to the service members, kind of how we get information and keep ourselves abreast. And just it's, and just talking to service members, if we can do Facebook, telephone calls. And so we also connected even years of service and just sharing, okay, here's my injury. I'm going through this at Walter Reed. And another veteran served with could be, say, at Fort Lewis or Fort Bragg and and we just kind of share information. Uh, it could be a Marine Corps veteran, talk to an Army guy, talk to myself. We just, because it doesn't matter what service, but once you kind of transition out of being a veteran, we kind of all have the same path. You know, some guys are maybe a burn victim, or they may be amputee, or they could be like me. I have injuries you can't really see. And so just those constant communications. They really, other veterans are the best counselors for one another, just talking to one another. Uh, and fellowship with, fellowship with veterans and families, and so that, that veteran family, uh, I don't need, I don't say network, I say family because really, we are family. It doesn't matter if I meet a marine or a sailor, or airman, or, uh, or a coastie, we're all family, and and that and that brotherhood and sisterhood is really what that keep us keeps us going post military uh, life. Do you think the the process of getting some of these injuries recognized? 
not to get into politics, do you think that it could be streamlined in a way? Not yes and no, uh, because in the military, any service member, you know, uh, we have policies and procedures for a reason. Uh, because the last thing the military needs is for someone to have a Medal of Honor, a Bronze Star, a Purple Heart that didn't deserve it. And then if that happens, that really tarnishes the image of the award. And so even though as veterans we were going through these processes, we get frustrated, but it's for a reason. That's Victor Hogan, a veteran Army major and recipient of the Purple Heart. He's a resident of Purvis, Mississippi. Coming up, a baker from the Delta is showing off his skills making hyper-realistic cakes that look like everyday objects. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join the conversation every Tuesday at 11 as we dissect issues that are important to you and your family. That's Relatively Speaking, Tuesdays only on MPB Think Radio. There are many ways to support the programs you love on MPB. Becoming a member, starting a monthly gift, donate a vehicle you don't need anymore, and now donating a piece of land or other real estate. To learn more about the advantages of donating real estate, just click Donate Now from mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. In the latest season of the popular Netflix reality game show, Is It Cake? A Mississippi Delta native is showing off his baking skills. Contestants on the show are challenged to bake items that look like real objects, be it a camera, tools, or Sunday dinner. Among this season's participants is Quartarius Allen, and he is a resident of the town of Shelby in Boulevard County. He's also a recent graduate of Mississippi Valley State University. He tells our Kobe Vance baking is a way he can express himself and make others happy. I had been on Food Network hit series Halloween Wars, and the opportunity came for me to be on Easy Cake, so it was more so of a good experience because it's something that I had done before and I had been off the scene for about a year, and I just wanted to get back out there and put myself out there so people can kind of see my work. Now on Instagram, you go by your handle, uh, The Cake Goat. Uh, what got you into baking and especially this interesting realm of making cakes that look like other items? Well, I got the name The Cake Goat um, from, you know, I came up in the era when the acronym GOAT was a huge thing to say. Basically, from my dorm room, I started selling cupcakes on campus, and someone asked me one day if I could make a cake, and I took the order, and I wasn't even sure if I could do the cake. It wasn't decorated good, but it tasted well according to my customers. And I got the name The Cake Goat. I just wanted to be different from all the other bakers that, that were in the area. And I didn't see many people doing uh, hyper-realistic cakes. So this is something that I tapped into because I knew it would set me apart from everyone else. Uh, what goes into that? How do you even get started in uh, making cakes that look like other real items? It's a lot of work, but the main thing I would say just keep practicing. You have to be uh, in proportion with the actual item that you are making. You don't want it to be bigger. Than, you don't want your cake to be bigger than the actual item. 
it's just come kind of natural to me because I'm just big on art, I guess. <laughs> Baking as an art, what? How do you see that as a way to you know express yourself and be able to just create? I see it as a coming exercise, basically. You know, as I stated, I'm a social work major, so sometimes when I'm just feeling kind of down or upset, I can decorate a cake and it just give me so much joy. And I guess that's the art in it. And I also see it as, uh, as a science because there's just so many ingredients and recipes that you have to follow for it to be good. <laughs> what was it like being on the show? Being on the show definitely was a life-changing experience. I have gained a lot of supporters from being on the show. I met a lot of um, amazing cake artists. Everyone that I uh, filmed the show with, we all carried a talent, and we kind of all just piggyback off each other. Everyone uh, just showed talent. How did you see, you know, being able to take your personal experiences growing up here in Mississippi into that competition and be able to uh, show off your skills that way? Well, I say it was good to, you know, that on the first episode when I was able to make the um, the Sunday dinner plate. I just uh, wanted to represent Mississippi to the fullest. It was the first episode, and I just wanted to showcase and bring to them what we do in Mississippi on Sundays, which is having, you know, a good Sunday dinner. So I felt that was the best way to, you know, showcase, because for one thing, in Mississippi, we are known for our southern soul food. (laughs) I can imagine it's an interesting time cutting into something that looks like Sunday dinner and uh, especially mashed potatoes and getting cake. Yes, it was definitely exciting to see because for one, when I'm when I make cakes, I'm never able to cut into it because it's always for a customer. So just seeing my work get cut into is just it's just fun to watch. Uh, what were your thoughts being able to go through the competition and being able to meet with other bakers that are like yourself and interacting with them, possibly talking with them behind the scenes and getting their ideas? It's really cool talking with the other bakers who come on the shows because being in Mississippi, you really don't get to see many uh, artists, like cake artists who go through the same thing that you go through and, you know, have to experience with dealing with customers and everything. So it was good to just kind of like network and talk to the other cake artists who are on the show. We are definitely connected for life now. Well, what's been audience reception like? Have you gotten a lot of support from people in your community or even across the nation since you were on the I show? I've received support from people in my community just all around the Mississippi area. And uh, internationally, too, I have people from everywhere, you know, DMing me on Instagram, just want to congratulate me from, you know, going on the show and doing so well. I would like to say that I appreciate that because I just went on the show being myself. I didn't know that it would gain the attention of so many people. As you mentioned earlier, you just graduated from college and you're going into social work. Uh, Do you plan to continue baking in this way? And if so, how do you think that's going to work into your life as a social worker? I do plan on continuing, you know, to bake it. I also wanted to start my own business where I offer, you know, social services and cake. Because as I stated before, I see cake as like a soothing process. My idea was to create a practice where I can have people come in and we decorate cakes and we can talk over your problems. And I was going to call it Kicking Your Problems Away with the cake goat. So it's it's a kind of win-win in itself because I can kind of incorporate social services into cake decorating. What makes you so interested in uh, social services and being able to help others? 
being a cake artist, like, it's every day that you get to make someone's day just by creating their um, cake design. So I like to create designs, and when the children or whoever see their cakes, and they can't do anything but smile, so they're just the whole social service part in itself, like, with cake decorating for me, because I'm able to put a smile on someone's face every time I make a cake for them. What do you think it can mean for people who might be going through hard times to be able to you know, sit with you and decorate cakes and talk about what they might be going through? People who are faced with problems, just, they just simply want to talk to, with someone. And being that I have the experience that I have in cake decorating, I think it's just a kind of like a plus in itself just for someone to just talk to me. And sometimes you deal with people who have, like, some of the same problems as you. Okay, I would like to say to up-and-coming bakers to just go for it, be inspired, and just continue to practice, and you never know who's watching, and you never know what opportunities may come your way. Now, I also would like to say, I know this is probably out of the way, but I would like to say on October 28th, I will be in South Hill, Mississippi, where I'll be judging a, a competition that they have annually, so that's a, a thing that's happening for me in the future. Cortarius Allen goes by The Cake Goat on Instagram and is a participant on the most recent season of the Netflix series, Is It Cake? This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.